the Chinese, they're taking notes, and I think they like what they see, but they're going to wait and see how it plays out. What will the Chinese Communist Party do if Russia succeeds in conquering Ukraine? And while China would like to get Taiwan through intimidation, it is willing and it is able to launch a military assault. At the 2022 Conservative Political Action Conference, CPAC, I sat down with Grant Newsham, a retired U.S. Marine colonel and senior fellow with the Center for Security Policy. You have Wall Street pouring in several hundred billion dollars of convertible currency into China every year. And so you're funding this enemy, which says it intends to dominate you, if not destroy you. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kellick. Grant Newsham, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Well, thank you very much. Glad to be here. And frankly, finally, because it's been a long time coming. I've wanted to have you for a long time. And you're just not usually here on this continent, actually. No, and I thought you were ignoring me. That was the (laughs) the real problem. (laughs) No, I just love doing them live. But, you know, let's, of course, talk about security realities in Asia, because this is your kind of wheelhouse. There's a lot of questions right now. Russia has invaded Ukraine. What are people thinking in Asia right now as all this is happening? Like, what, 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 are, what are the powers in Asia thinking about all this? Well, the Chinese, to start with, are they're taking notes. And I think they like what they see. Uh, but they're going to wait and see how it plays out. Um, if it turns out that Putin is able to take all of Ukraine or even a huge chunk of it and get away with it, uh, the Chinese will take note. And by get away with it, I mean if there's no real punishment for the Russians, if the the Americans and the Europeans just accept this as a fait accompli after some decent interval, and business and life goes back to normal, at least as much as it does for after this has happened, Chinese probably going to think, you know, well, Taiwan's out there, we want it, and we've said we're going to take it, and we're serious. And they may think that there's not going to be any punishment they can't handle if they do something like Russia did to Ukraine to Taiwan. So that is very much the Chinese thinking. And if it looks like Putin got away with it, gets away with it, Chinese are going to be emboldened to finally settle the Taiwan issue once and for all. So, so many questions right now, right? Okay, well, well, first of all, there's some speculation that the Chinese might be planning to actually try to take Taiwan as right now, while you know, there's all this, let's call it distraction from their perspective, perhaps, uh, with what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Well, it's possible. And that's sort of the handicapping that's been going on for a while. Are the Chinese going to, one, use the Olympics sort of as a distraction or a sort of touch-off point, or Ukraine? And they say people argue over that. My thinking is they're probably going to wait a while. And as I said, it's to see how the Russian move on Ukraine works out. You know, does Russia get hit with such devastating financial and economic sanctions? Does NATO actually wake up militarily? Uh, does the Biden administration do something like reestablish oil independence or energy independence? Uh, does it show any sign that it's going to get its financial house in order? Does it sh- show that it's going to refund the mili- or fund the military the way it should be? Are they going to focus on defense rather than woke politics or a national dental plan rooting out white extremism? And if they're not going to do those things, China's going to look at it and do the calculation and think, you know, we can, if we take Taiwan, nothing much is going to happen to us that we can't absorb. 
And for China, taking Taiwan is just immensely important, uh, the advantages that they would get out of it. Uh, but I think they're going to wait, as I say, to see how it plays out. So that's going to take probably a matter of months, would be my guess. And I would, my guess, if you held a gun to my head and said, when's it going to be? I would say from 2023 onwards, you should really be uh, alert for China making its move. And while China would like to get Taiwan through intimidation, it is willing and it is able to launch a military assault uh, on Taiwan. And the, the Ukraine playbook is something they say they're taking, taking notes of. Um, so, you know, when it's going to happen, people are arguing that right and left, but I think they're going to wait a bit. Well, and there, there are all of these, I guess, psychological type plays, like this move, recent move by Putin to basically say, okay, military, you know, don't, don't uh, put your wives, elders, I, I, I don't want to misquote, this is what I, this is roughly what I read earlier, um, in, in jeopardy and just, you know, take over and you'll be in a good position to have discussions with me. Right. That's part of the, as a part of the playbook. And the Chinese have been doing this for years against Taiwan, uh, telling them, you know, we're going to get you. You know, you're this tiny little country. Uh, you know, you have no hope. And you saw after Afghanistan fell and the Americans were routed from the country that the Chinese were saying to Taiwan, look, you think the Americans are going to protect you? Forget about it. And even just the other day, the, as I understand it, the Chinese consul general in Osaka, in Japan, tweeted out something that basically said, well, look at Ukraine. These little nations had better not uh, get the big ones mad at them. And some people think they were talking about Japan, but they were just as much talking about Taiwan. And that is psychological warfare. It's trying to wear down the resistance. And that is part of Chinese strategy. Uh, and it does have an effect if the Taiwanese don't think anyone is there to really back them up. And you have to look at the U.S.'s track record uh, in recent times. And, you know, even, even we're worried. Uh, so you can imagine how the Taiwanese are, are feeling. Uh, and that's the, what you're seeing in Asia is uh, China's taking notes, Taiwan is as well, watching what's going on. And the Japanese are too, uh, because Japan knows that it is just as much in China's crosshairs uh, as is Taiwan. So you have an idea of what China's thinking based on what you said. There's been these overtures ostensibly to, you said, maybe Japan, maybe Taiwan. Well, what are the other countries thinking at this point? Right. And, and the other question is, is, is the U.S. the linchpin in this or can Asia do something itself? Oh, yeah. It's the, the other countries in Asia. Uh, they're watching it closely as well, because what you're seeing in Asia very much is an ongoing Chinese effort to drive the Americans out of the region. And very few, most, very few countries want that to happen. Uh, maybe Cambodia and Laos don't care, and North Korea uh, would like it to happen. But everyone else would like the Americans to be there, because the Americans are a buffer. They're something that keeps the Chinese from just dominating the whole region. So they're waiting to see actually what the Americans do. Do the Americans look like a winner, like they can take on this Chinese might? Uh, and they're going to make their decisions based on that. Uh, the only countries that have come out actually strongly against Russia in the Ukraine are Japan, of course, and then Australia and Singapore. Singapore has actually been very straightforward that they are against this. 
objected to it, and that's the only Southeast Asian nation that has. So you can see them on the fence, waiting to see how it plays out. Australia and Japan are the ones that will at least go down fighting. Um, they'll sort of try to resist, but without the Americans there, that no country and no combination of nations in the region uh, can defend themselves ultimately against the, the Chinese. The Americans are essential. And, but not even as a united front? Or is the united front impossible? I don't see that happening. You know, I think theoretically, if you, you could um, construct an argument, but I don't see it happening in practice. Uh, they don't have the, uh, really the military might, nor even the political capability, the um, will or the experience of uniting uh, sort of for a common defense. It's always been the Americans that have been the, the guarantor. And without them, the whole thing kind of comes apart. And you can see how most of the nations have gotten probably pathologically dependent on the American presence. And they have allowed their militaries to, to lapse. Uh, the Australians are probably better than most, but they would be, uh, they would have trouble. The New Zealand, if China could probably take it tomorrow if they landed a couple amphibious brigades in, on either island and just took it over. Uh, the Japanese are finally waking up. But the Japanese military has been, as I said, pathologically dependent on the Americans. I mean, for a while they weren't allowed to have one, right? Well, yeah. they, they made that choice because right. the Americans were providing the backup. So think of it, if you're a government, you can take $50 billion and spend it on healthcare, roads, or trains, or you can spend it on defense. Uh, well, you spend it on the healthcare roads and trains because the Americans are going to cover you. And you didn't see a threat. You could convince yourself there wasn't really a threat. And it's really been from about 10 years ago that the Chinese threat to Japan has been sort of un unmistakable. And the Japanese have say, have kind of woken up, but they've got a long way to go very quickly. And they have to rely, still rely on the Americans. And the Americans actually need Japanese help. And um, that's something that's, that's new, is that without a solid U.S.-Japan alliance, that the Americans would really be hard-stretched in Asia. And if you throw in events in Europe, you throw in events in the Middle East with Iran, and then if North Korea does something, the Americans will find it even harder uh, to sort of keep a lid on things. It's like the Dutch boy at the dike where leaks are breaking out and you're trying to to plug them. Um, this is a very difficult time, probably the most dangerous time we've been in in my lifetime. Uh, and it it's, uh, seems like a very dangerous time. I've heard people saying, you know, it's 1937, 1939 even. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to laugh nervously, but that I've heard that. What are the implications of this agreement that China and Russia signed and then consummated at the beginning of the Beijing Olympics, of course, because where else would you would you consummate uh, this kind of an agreement, right? Oh, well, where else? Yeah. Yeah. It, um, uh, I think they kind of split the world up. That's a, a glib way of looking at it. But I think there is at least, there's a tacit agreement that each will do what it wants and each will back the other when the time comes. So you'll notice what the Chinese have done regarding the Ukraine situation, they said some nice words, but ultimately they, they're happy to see Putin do it, waiting to see how it plays out. And there was even something leaked. It was from one of the Chinese media saying, giving their guidance on how to cover this. And it says, don't criticize the Russians because we will want their support when the time comes for Taiwan. 
And there's some parts of the sort of the commentariat. There's an idea that, well, the, the Russians and the Chinese don't like each other. And the Chinese don't, you know, they wish Putin hadn't done this to Ukraine for some reason. Uh, but I don't give much credence to that at all. I think it is a, an alliance of convenience or marriage of convenience. And they uh, both see what each, would, what each does as a way to bring the Americans down a notch and maybe even just discombobulate the Americans so much that they can't respond. And that's, and don't forget, there's a psychological aspect to all of this. And when, say, the Americans and the Europeans or whomever feel like they, they can't resist, that there's nothing you can do, you know, just you, if you challenge Putin, it's going to be nuclear war. And there's any number of reasons to just let it be that that's dangerous when a country loses that will to resist, to defend freedom, defend its friends. And they, you could just as easily see this happening in East Asia. And probably pretty soon uh, would be my sense of it. Which theater is the more important one? I mean, I know, I know your area of interest, but it, I'm sure you can support your argument. I think they're both equally important. You know, for now, I'd say both are. And if you don't pay proper attention to, to both, and that you're going to suffer. And I don't think that Ukraine is any less important than Asia at the moment. It's just the one where there's more activity going on or more fighting. Uh, because if you don't get Ukraine right, if it does look like Russia has a, a UN Security Council member has been able to take over an independent country, actually Europe's largest democracy, has just been able to take it over without any real punishment that they can't withstand, that that is going to have an eventual and pretty soon is going to have an effect in Asia. And if you don't, if you can't, so if you don't get both of them right, you're going to be in really big trouble in the other one sooner, soon enough. And so I, I don't, you know, I've heard people argue, well, China's the important thing, Asia's the important place, just ignore Europe and what's happening there. Uh, but I don't think that's the, the right way to look at it. I think you will pay for that. Um, you say it's, it's a alluring argument, but in actual fact, you know, the, what happens in Europe is going to have a direct effect in the prospects for Chinese aggression uh, in short order. What would be punishment that Russia would actually feel? Because it sounds to me like you're saying, whatever's been done to thus far, the Russians just don't really care. Well, we haven't done much yet uh, to them. You know, what you would have to do, as I see it, is the Americans would have to suddenly demonstrate that they are serious about defending themselves, about fighting, and defending their friends. And to do that, it isn't just a question of building up the military. But you have to sort of reshape your, your national approach to things. You know, you start with one, getting energy independence back. So that we're not, we, we are not dependent on foreign oil, uh, foreign energy, and we can keep our friends supplied with it. Be because that is there. It's just like ready to go oh, if we it, want it. So if you right? had, if, and what yeah. it's going to take is an administration to say, look, that was yesterday, today is today, gloves are off and we're going to get energy independence. And then you have to cut Russia, for starters, off from the US dollar system, from the U world economic system, and basically isolate them. Uh, 
And you're going to have to do the same thing to China, actually, to be successful, because China is going to support Russia. And China is just as much of a threat, just as much of an enemy, and that's their language uh, to us. So get, attack them on the economic financial front, and you're going to have to get your military back in order. After 20 years of this nonsense in the Middle East, uh, the U.S. military has got a lot of work to do to build itself back up to where it is a serious force. And you've got to stop this social engineering, the, the extremist witch hunts, the, the wokeism. That seems to be the priority rather than winning wars. So you're going to have to pay more money, but you've also got to remember that a military's purpose is to fight and win wars. Uh, it's not a social experiment. Uh, you've, somehow America's got to actually learn uh, propaganda, information warfare, strategic communications, like we used to know and actually start selling America uh, to the world. Now, those would be some starters of things you can do, but you have to demonstrate to the other side that you, have, you are serious, you're going to fight back, and you can defend yourself, as you would do with any bully. But it's amazing just how you know, the Americans have let things lapse. And, you know, I would note that, you know, as we've, everyone's talked about, we have allowed the Russians to get in a position where they can use energy to extort the Europeans should never have happened. But also when you look at China, which is probably the bigger threat, you have Wall Street pouring in several hundred billion dollars of convertible currency into China every year. U.S. business community does something similar. And so you're funding this enemy, this country, which says it intends to dominate you, kick you out of Asia, if not destroy you. And that is insane. But you've got to get a handle on that. And you're going to have to say ban investment into China, then most commercial transactions with them, and just get along with uh, the free world, the civilized world, uh, living by itself. You know, we've done this in the past. The world used to be, it was always a nice enough place uh, before it decided to ship industry to China and build up the PRC. Uh, so th those would be some starters. But if you think about it, if you've ever been in a, say, a fight with a bully or with somebody, and if he thinks you're weak, if he, th you s he smells weakness, it doesn't matter if you stand up like this and he sees you shivering. And he knows that you, he knows he's got you. And there's, a, say, a psychological aspect to all of this. And you have to ask yourself, you know, who is it in the U.S. government that Putin or the Chinese look at and who scares them? You know, unfortunately, you know, I, I don't know who that is. So you're talking about, you know, projecting, your advice would be to project strength. to. got to yeah. do it, yeah. for starters, and that you do have to have some substance to it. You know, you can talk tough, uh, but if you don't have the military to do it, if you don't have the financial controls to do it, if you, do, you know, and if you're, you know, printing money like a, you know, worse than a drunken, like you're printing too much money, you're debasing the currency, uh, that's not a good thing. If you still are energy dependent on foreigners, on the Saudis, the Iranians, the Russians, why would anyone take you seriously? Uh, and that's, you know, you, you have to ask yourself, if you look at what has happened in Ukraine, the, the guys who made that decision, how are they suffering? You know, are they at any disadvantage than they, they were? If it's, and if it's a question of making the average Russian suffer, well, the Russians are pretty good at enduring suffering, just like the the Chinese, you know, keep in mind that they, the Russians still are uh, proud of what they did at Leningrad and Stalingrad. Uh, they can absorb plenty of pressure. Uh, but if it's the guys at the top that you have to make them feel like there's some personal discomfort involved in all of this, because uh, they, they will put up with an awful lot, uh, the Russians will, um, you know, to get the, the political 
and military advantage of taking Ukraine. You know, if you shows that they can do this, take over another independent country and get away with it. That, you know, think of the psychological effects on every country in the world, not just the ones nearby in, in Europe, but countries in Asia. You know, they're going to ask, well, look, if Chinese are allowed to go after Taiwan and take it, and who's next? Well, you will see them trying to cut the best deal they can with the PRC. Uh, and you know, hope, hope to get eaten last or maybe not eaten at all. And it will discredit the United States worldwide if that, you know, if the Ukraine thing doesn't you know, get handled the right way. And it's, it's always better to avoid these problems because once they happen, you can, you know, you know it, if we were to try and figure out what to do about it, um, that's a tough, you know, sort of a, a tough strategy to design on the fly. This is, a, as, as we've said, a really difficult time. I really can't overstate that. Well, and it's, it's not clear what will happen. And sometimes in these times, you also have these kind of random events that happen that cause extra mayhem. Yeah. Or perhaps deliberate. I don't know. But I'm just, I'm thinking to the beginnings of the world wars and, you know, there, there's these sort of unexpected events that influence things in a way, arguably. I mean, this argued by different historians. So this, it feels like this very volatile time. Now, so what's very interesting is this connection that you've made with, you know, basically if you were to completely sanction Russian energy, all the assets of the oligarchy, the full complete sanctions from the West, that wouldn't actually do it because the Chinese are supporting them. Mm -hmm. oh, you, so and is it sort yeah. of, they're, they're supporting through also kind of with American money in a way, right? That makes it even crazier. Yeah. Uh, you'd ha you have, as I said, you have to go after China as well. If it's just Russia, that well, China will back them up and sort of bolster their, their position. Uh, it, you know, things will get rougher in China or Russia more difficult, but they'll manage. And eventually they would count on the West to tire out. See, on Wall Street and the financial class, on the business class, to say, oh, come on, let's just live with this. Let's get back to doing business. You know, that's better than war. Uh, and that will be the temptation. Uh, but if you don't deal with it, look at it, um, play it out a bit, and see Russia and China and Iran and Venezuela and Cuba and these, all of this is part of a larger mosaic and just try to do one at a time and it probably isn't going to be as effective as it needs to be. People have said, I've seen a number of commentators say, okay, this is the end of Pax Americana. You know, could be, but you know. So do you, maybe do you want to comment on what that what that is? Do you agree that such a thing exists? Uh, yeah, um, I do actually. It, the thing is, it's a fairly short, short-lived phenomenon. That for some period of time after the World War II, it was the American presence around the world that guaranteed a certain stability. You know that oceans were open for you know you could uh, sail the high seas with your ships and nobody would bother you. Boundaries were more or less, you know, um, safe. And no, you, usually most countries didn't try to uh, do anything about that. And, and it was, really was because this idea that the Americans were somehow backstopping everything, guaranteeing it. 
And it's probably, I think, probably disappeared, probably didn't exist maybe five years ago, 10 years ago maybe, but it did last for 50, 60 years. And, but whether this is the end, you know, you could argue it's either way. You know, it's, but the fact that we're even talking about it uh, shows just how uh, dire the circumstances are. But also whenever somebody, you know, particularly a pundit, tells you something, this, there's no doubt about this, you should always have pretty great doubt. Sure. You know, and things have a way of working out in ways you don't expect. You know, if you, if you show that you're willing to step, step up and fight and defend your friends and yourself, it has a way, it has this uh, cumulative effect. You draw people in who think, well, maybe there is a possibility, you know, one that we can uh, get out of this. You know, you do have to remember how grim things looked, say, in early 1942. You know, it did seem like there was no possibility of rolling back the Japanese or the Germans. And yet it, it happened. And they say it often happens in ways you don't expect, but you do have to uh, defend yourself and be able to, you know, not just say you're going to, because everyone says they're going to, but to be able to do it. So America, you know, energy independence really, you know, cuts financial business ties with China and Russia, goes after the wealth of their, their top dogs in both countries, uh, gets its own financial house in order. Uh, and actually gets its society back in order. You know, figure out what is important. Uh, it isn't going to matter how woke we are if we can't make a move without Chinese permission uh, to do it. And that is a world that just might might happen. You know, it, and it's uh, I never would have thought this would. I'd be saying any of this in my lifetime, but it's gotten to uh, really a point where uh, I would say we have 50, you know, have even odds of getting out of this and. Ten years ago, I'd have said we had 90% odds, 90% uh, chance of success. So, you mentioned the Russians have an ability to handle suffering, um, and certainly the Chinese are, are plenty used to that. Um, in general, uh, Americans seem to be less. Although I guess COVID, you could definitely think of it that way. That's an interesting question. There's something to be said about how much suffering a populace can take without, or even like, you know, while supporting the leadership, right? Sometimes with the Russians, it almost seems like a lot of the, and this might be political messaging, but it almost seems like a lot of people are very happy with what's happening. I, and I, I suspect that's actually correct, right? I but, think it probably is. It'd be my guess. Because the, the argument is, if you, if you talk to Russians, is Ukraine is, it's the Rodina. I don't know what words the Russian use. It's the family. And we're just taking back what's ours. You know, it belongs to Russia. What's the big deal? And so I would suggest that for the Russian, many Russians, that fighting to for Ukraine is very different than fighting for Afghanistan, uh, the way they did during the Afghan war. Uh, but it's for something that a lot of Russians think is Russian, or should be, that they can absorb a little more pain. But also, you've got a regime. Uh, when you've got a regime that's willing to kill people who challenge it, uh, that gives them a staying power that democracies don't have. And, well, and, and what uh, do you make of these anti-war protests? Because they're, from, for all accounts, actually quite significant anti-war protests within Russia. Yeah. You know, we'll see. As I say, we'll see. You know, we've seen, you know, protests against the Russian government before. And we've seen how it ends out, it usually ends up with the application of violence and assassination. 
so I'm not convinced that you know it's going to uh, slow down the Russians uh, very much. Would be my guess. Just my guess. As I say, these kinds of regimes, they'll do a lot to stay in power and make people disappear if they have to do it. Do you think it's realistic that crushing sanctions will be put on both Russia and China, which is indeed, I think from what you're saying, the minimum that would be needed to actually be impactful? I think it could make a big difference, but I don't know that that alone would do it. I think it would be the the recognition that one, the top leaders will personally experience some harm, some discomfort, uh, and lose everything. You know, instead of a nice life on the, your yacht, you know, you're going to be hunted. You might get to go live in exile in North Korea, uh, something like that. You know, if you that has to be part of the the effort, part of the strategy and the equation uh, that. Um, Really, you've got to strip, you know, cut these nations off from the wherewithal that, that keeps them afloat and allows them to, say, be this aggressive. You, know, you put them in a position where they're going to have to make some difficult choices. Are you going to buy food or are you going to buy a really powerful military? And that's what you do. That's what economic and financial sanctions are intended to do. But you've got to have the, the, the military capability. Um, to squash anybody who challenges you or to make it just so uh, deadly that the, the bad guys won't make their move because they, they can smell the weakness, you know, just like the schoolyard bully who knows the guy who's got the lunch money that you know, isn't going to resist. And you know, if the fight was over who can write the best foreign affairs essay or have a win a debate, we'd probably well, we'd be safe. But unfortunately, the, I think the international situation is not like that and probably never has been. Well, Grant Newsham, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Okay, well, thank you very much. I was glad to be here. Thanks. We live in an age of censorship and disinformation where some of the most prominent voices, most important voices, aren't actually being heard because they're being suppressed. I invite some of these people onto the show, onto American thought leaders. So to stay up to date on the most recent episodes and our exclusive content, you can actually sign up for our newsletter at theepochtimes.com newsletter. Just hit the checkbox for American Thought Leaders. Mm-hmm.